Does it seem like to you that Goliath is getting loud? Goliath seems to be shouting. Our culture is going more and more in a direction that is dark, that is against Christ, that doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. And the enemy's camp is getting loud. And that's exactly what was taking place for the children of Israel. The Philistines come into Judah. They come into Israeli territory. They get their giant Goliath, nine and a half feet tall, and he begins to shout out threats. He trash talks. The whole army of Israel gets to a place where they're afraid and they're dismayed. Then a young shepherd boy shows up on the scene and he sees Goliath through the lens of God's character and he realizes that God is limitless, that God is not bound, that he is not stressed out, that God is able to bring this victory over Goliath. I think there's two applications for us. There's this application of what we're seeing in culture where Goliath seems to be shouting and how we can respond like David, but also the giants that we face in our own lives that can tend to cause us to be in a place of fear and be dismayed. We're gonna hit some highlights in this chapter as we go through, and I pray that it would really speak to you. I pray tonight that it, it would stir us, that it would stir us to trust God, that it would stir us to not run away from the Goliaths of today, but for God's glory to run towards them. So let's look in verse one. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Ashka in Emsdamin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other with the valley between them. Israel did not ask for this. Israel was not looking for this conflict, but the conflict came to them. The Philistines want to invade. Goliath wants to come in. And in a lot of ways as Christians, we're not looking for conflict. I'm not looking for conflict. I don't enjoy conflict. But there's conflict that's coming to us as believers because the enemy wants to come into the territory of the people of God. The enemy wants to come into our culture and into our society and to try to convince people of a biblical or a worldview that's contrary to biblical values. The Valley of Elah is a really interesting place. You can visit it in Israel. And what the scriptures call mountains, we would consider hills here in Colorado. And this is the Middle East, uh, so they're really hills. But you have the Philistines on one side, and the children of Israel on the other, and the Valley of Elah in between. And what happens then is here comes Goliath. And he is their, their champion. And Goliath is described, his physical description, his armor is described. But let's jump down to his trash talking in verse 8. <laughs> then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. 
Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Here comes Goliath. A little later in the chapter, it says that Goliath has been doing this for 40 days, day and night. He starts every day coming out, trash-talking the children of Israel. Send me your champion. We'll have the ultimate fight here. Winner takes all. If I win, you guys are our slaves. If I lose, vice versa. And what's the response of the people of God is that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Not just a little bit afraid, but greatly afraid and dismayed. What is Goliath saying today? What's the enemy's champion saying today? What's Satan's camp saying today? Well, one is that you cannot talk about biblical sexuality. If you talk about marriage being between a man and a woman and a commitment to be made between a man and a woman, then you must be silenced and that's not allowed in society any longer. That's what Satan wants us to think. And we can tend to respond and go, well, man, I'm afraid and greatly dismayed because it is not the cultural view that marriage is between a man and a woman, that there is actual male and female, that God has created us male and female. So that's one of the ways the enemy's really shouting, trying to silence God's view on biblical sexuality. Another way that the enemy is really shouting is when it comes to the issue of life. God is pro-life because he's the designer of life. We're made in God's image. The disciples right around this time of year asked Jesus if they needed to pay taxes. Do you ask the Lord that every year about this time? Like, God, do we have to pay taxes? And what's Christ's response? He gets a coin and he says, well, what's on this coin? They say the image of Caesar. And he says, give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give unto God the things that are God's. So Caesar's image has been imprinted on this coin, but my image has been imprinted on you. So, so give unto God what belongs to God. Your life belongs to God. Why does life matter? Because God created it. Life begins in the womb. It begins at conception. And life matters at every stage, all the way up to natural death. So to speak about life, well, the enemy wants to silence that. Goliath in his camp is saying, hey, you can't speak about life. I've talked with uh, believers that for simply sharing their view on life, all of a sudden now they don't have a relationship with a son or with a daughter. Because look, you believe in pro-life, then that's such a negative position we can't even begin to be in relationship. And so we fear these things and we think, well, I've got to shy away from this message of being pro-life. The gospel's trying to be silenced. Goliath wants to silence the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? That Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again. Jesus said that he's the only way to the Father. That's not a popular message to be declared. So Goliath's out there and culture's dark. And if we're not careful, do you know where we're gonna drift to? Is we're gonna drift to fear and also being dismayed. Flying back from uh, Southern California, 
I was on the plane and talking with the lady sitting next to me and it turns out she was from Oregon and I was born and raised in Oregon. So we started talking about what's going on politically in Oregon and I started getting fired up on the plane. You know, it's like, man, this, this just breaks my heart. This is a place that I love and it's completely gone in a direction that's against God's heart and God, God's law. And the lady sitting next to me was a believer and we're both kind of getting fired up and dismayed and fearful. And then she's like, but we know how it ends. Amen. We know how the book of Revelation ends with Christ returning. And she's been doing an in-depth study on the book of Revelation. But have you noticed that the direction of conversation with believers tends to go to a place of fear and being dismayed because of what's taking place in culture. And that's what was happening with the whole army of the children of Israel. For 40 days, these guys are looking around at each other going, man, he's really big. I mean, have you seen his armor? Look at the size of his biceps. Like he could crush me in his biceps. You gonna go fight him? No, I'm, I'm not gonna go fight him. And Saul's afraid and everybody's afraid and the people of God are afraid. And that's not where God wants us to be. And it may be these cultural issues that are causing you to be afraid or it may be something that's a lot more personal in your life. It's a challenge in your marriage. It's a challenge with one of your kids. It's a f inflation. The Fed's raised interest rates again today, the eighth time since March and they hinted of more hikes to come. You go to the grocery store and you're like, never knew eggs were a luxury, right? Yeah. And it can start to get you to this place of fear and being dismayed. Whatever it is, whether it's cultural or it's personal, am I seeing this Goliath that I'm facing through the character of God, that God is limitless? And this is where we see David come on to uh, the scene. So let's jump down to uh, verse 17, where Jesse gives David some instructions. Then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul... And they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. He has three older brothers that are fighting in this battle. David's not among them. He is among the sheep. He leaves the sheep to go to visit his brothers. And he's the Chick-fil-A food delivery guy. <laughs> David needs to bring the Chipotle burritos. Did you guys hear you can get an adult Happy Meal at McDonald's? How many of you guys knew that? So this just, just came in October that you can get an adult Happy Meal and it comes with a toy. And apparently this is so popular that in the last quarter, McDonald's profits went up 12%. It seems like adults appreciate the toy. So let's all go to Flint Ridge and Academy and get an adult Happy Meal. But David's the food delivery guy in verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. 
And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming out from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So David's now taking in this whole scene. He hears Goliath come out with his threats, and he just watches the army's reaction. He watches the people of God be dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Come on, that's an incentive right there, right? Tax-free living for the whole entire family. The whole entire family is tax-exempt. Plus you get the king's daughter, plus you get riches. But no one, no one even with that incentive is gonna go and fight Goliath. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this? uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of a living God. Number one, be the voice of faith. Be the voice of faith. Be the one that looks at culture, a culture that is against Christ, against his message on sexuality, against his message on life, and say, you know what? I think this is a great time to be a Christian. I think that God is moving When we study in the scriptures and we study church history, when culture is dark, that's when the light shines the brightest. This is a great opportunity for the gospel. And yes, Goliath is loud. And yes, Goliath is shouting. And a Christ-rejecting culture is not going to be quiet. But guess what? That's when God does his greatest work. When Goliath is loud. That's when the gospel shines. That's when the love of Jesus Christ can penetrate hearts and penetrate lives. And there's just one young shepherd boy, one young man, one teenager that's saying, wait a second, this is about God's glory. And why are we sitting here and allowing this giant to dominate us and to live in fear? How come David had a different perspective? because he was hearing God's voice. The reason he had the voice of faith is because he was hearing God's voice. He was spending time with God as a shepherd. We know that from his Psalms. We know that from his writings. He could have simply been hanging out with the sheep going, this is meaningless, this is pointless. Do you find yourself in the midst of what seems to be some meaningless and pointless tasks? But instead, David was pressing into the heart of God. He was worshiping. He was a worshiper before he was a warrior. If we're going to be that voice of faith, if we're going to be able to stand against this cultural giant that we're facing and these personal giants that we're facing, we've got to be close to our shepherd. Because church, we can't fake this. You can't fake being the voice of faith. You can't show up And Goliath is in your face and say, God's got this unless you mean it. You've got to mean it. People can see through that. And most importantly, God can see through that. And it may be some difficulty in our lives that is really rocking our core. 
and we say, right now, I am not the voice of faith. Well, what do we do? We be honest with the Lord. I love in the Gospels where a man cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, there's a part of me that believes, but there's a part of me that's struggling with, with unbelief. When we're weak in faith, we know that as we hear the word, that the word builds up our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. So we don't have to stay in a place of unbelief. We can move to a place of belief. We can move to a place of of trust. We can be reminded by God's character. But church, I believe this is the heart of God for January 2023, that the people of God would be a voice of faith and not a voice of fear. When we talk with our friends and our neighbors and family members and with each other, we want to be intentional to say, man, things are crazy, but I believe that God is working. I believe that God has got a plan. And this is such an important and strategic time for us to be loving Jesus and reaching out with the love of Christ. What happens from here is his older brother ridicules him. Eliab gets angry at him and questions David's motivation and thinks that he's being prideful, that he just wants glory for himself. Be warned, if you're trusting God in the face of giants, you will have those that ridicule you and it'll probably be believers. This ridiculing comes from a close source. It comes from his oldest brother. He's the youngest of eight boys. Of course, he's going to look up to his older brother. And his brother's coming down hard on him. Maybe you've experienced this. Have you said, I'm going to trust the Lord. And someone that you look up to then begins to ridicule you for, for trusting the Lord. So David is brought before Saul. And David remembers and he rehearses of how God had delivered the lion and the bear. Let's pick up in verse 34. He's now speaking to Saul. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered it, the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard (laughs) and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Saul and David weren't strangers. Saul had called on David for David to come and to play the harp before Saul. So he'd spend time with Saul and go back to the sheep. So he was familiar with David and he gives David the permission to go and face Goliath. Now verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor and put on a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a cloak of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Facing Goliath, first, we have to be the voice of faith. And second is we've got to own our weapons. Own your weapons. 
David could have easily thought, I have to go and fight Goliath with Saul's armor and Saul's sword. It would only make sense. Goliath is armored, but he hasn't tested them. It's not what he's familiar with. It's not really what he is is gifted in. During his time as a shepherd, can't you just picture him as a young boy growing into a teen? Not a lot's happening with the sheep, and he's just practicing. Some target practice over and over and over and over again. God was equipping him. You think you're in the midst of a meaningless task and meaningless season of life? You're getting to know the shepherd and God's developing skills that are going to be used to to face the Goliath. What if he would have went to Saul's armor? It doesn't even seem to fit. He hadn't tested it. It wasn't familiar. What is it that God has uniquely called and gifted you in? Use that to the glory of God. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to take on Saul's sword, his armor. I was talking with Craig Copeland. He attends our church. He's here, here tonight, and he loves hunting, and I enjoy, enjoy hunting. And, and he was sharing with me, hey, two things that I've learned in hunting, and he had my attention, is get a gun and learn how to use it well and use that gun for hunting the rest of your life. And then always hunt in the same area because you'll learn that area really well. And Craig hunts with a 30 6 that he got almost 40 years ago. Do you think Craig knows how to use that 30 6 He's tested it, right? He's not going out and buying a new gun every other year. He's like, I know this gun and I'm going to use it well, right? And that's the idea here. Well, what has God uh, equipped me with? What's my sling? What's my stone? You know, some of you, it's the gift of helps. It's how you're really wired. You want to help people. Use that to, to the glory of God. Some of you are mercy-driven. You Use that to the glory of God. Some of you are great at finances. Use that. That's your sling and your stone. Use it to the, to the glory of God. Some of you are great at mechanics. What is it? How has God wired you? And a lot of times we look at someone like Saul and we go, I, I got to be like Saul. In order for me to be used by the Lord... I've got to take on his weapons. No, what is it that God has has gifted you? You've been strategically placed where God wants you to be. So be comfortable in your own skin. Be comfortable how God has designed you. You're going to be really good at being you. But you're not going to be so good at copying someone else, right? That's not going to succeed. It's not going to work. And so, so David uses a lot of great wisdom to own his weapons and use them for the glory of God. So let's jump down now to verse 45. David is facing Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine of the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all of the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands." 
third thing, third lesson from David here in facing Goliath is don't play small. Don't play small. David comes and he runs. Earlier in the text, it tells us he runs towards Goliath. And Goliath is breathing these threats down his neck. And David says, this isn't an issue between you and me. This is an issue of God's glory. And you're going to be defeated today so that the world knows that there's a God in Israel. The battle belongs to the Lord. And God's going to win this victory without a sword or without a spear. And this is important for us to realize that it's God's glory. The reason to face the giant is for God's glory. The reason to engage in some of these battles is to point people to Christ and the redemption that's in Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful turn of events in Colorado Springs, in Colorado, in the United States of America, if God's glory was seen revealed through the cross of Jesus Christ? What if we as believers said, you know what? I'm not going to be worried first and foremost about my comforts. I'm not going to allow myself to be shut up in my home in fear and being dismayed. I'm going to enter into this culture, enter into this conversation, be involved in the lives of unbelievers, talk about things that are important to God's heart for the purpose of pointing to the gospel because I want people to know God's glory. The battle belongs to, to the Lord. I was at a conference, August, September timeframe. One of the speakers at the very end, he was just wrapping up. He made this one comment. He says, God's not glorified when you play small. And I believe what he meant by that is it would have been easy for David to go, you know, who am I to go out there and fight Goliath? I'm the youngest of eight brothers. I'm just a shepherd. There's all of these men here who are well-trained warriors. I have no place being here. To essentially believe what his older brother Eliab is telling him, right? It's not that David was the strongest. It's not that David was the best candidate to go and take Goliath. He was the one that had the trust in God and knows that God can work through weakness. We can always find a reason of why we don't need to step up in faith and face the Goliath that's taking place. I can't do it. I don't have the time. I don't have the experience. I don't have the education. But notice how many times we're saying, I. I don't. I, I, I. David's not saying I. He's saying the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Why do you love your teenage kids and talk with them about things like pornography and God's design for sex because that's a giant that's destroying their lives and you do it for the glory of God. You enter into those conversations and say, hey, we're gonna take a look at this cultural giant and trust that God is going to, to do a work. Why do you fight for your marriage and pray over your spouse? It's for God's glory. God's glorified in, in a marriage that lasts in a marriage that points to, to Christ and, and the church? Why do we be a, a voice for the unborn? Why do we be a, 
a voice for biblical sexuality, hopefully because it points people to God's design, to the abundant life. It points people to, to the gospel. But when we put our hands in our pockets and put our baseball cap on and go, man, I'm a lousy Christian. I don't know my Bible like I should. I've never been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary. I can't do this. I can't do that. You're playing small. That's it. The whole army of Israel is playing small. Saul's playing small. And it's comfortable. And everybody gripes and moans about how afraid they are and how terrible it is. And this is the worst it's ever going to be. And David's like, you know what? I'm not playing small. For God's glory. I believe that God can do this work So there may be things inside of your heart and your mind that God's been stirring for a while, but for some reason you've talked yourself out of it. And if it's of the Lord, step out in faith and see what God could do. See how God would raise up David's in this generation and this time. A lot of amazing dreams for God's work took place with small steps of faith where people are like, man, this is what the Lord's put on my heart. So I'm just going to do it in faithfulness and see what the Lord would do. So let's look in verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, bullseye so that the stone sank into his forehead. So he's able to launch this stone with some force and he fell on his face to the earth. Timber, the taller they stand, the harder they fall. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sleeve, sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And the rest of the chapter, you've got David walking around with Goliath's head as a trophy of God's glory. So here's the fourth point. With a limitless God, you need to sling it. You need to sling it. David took that stone and he slung it right at the head of Goliath, bullseye. God wins the victory. God gets the glory. And you're saying, well, what do I have to sling? Our weapons are not physical. I want you to hear that. We don't, we don't take up arms for the, the glory of God. Our weapons are spiritual and our greatest weapon is the testimony of God and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're not angry at a culture that doesn't know Jesus. The reason that they're in darkness is because they don't know Christ. We should have a love for them and a longing for them to know Jesus, that Jesus died for them and rose again, and that Jesus forgives them of their sin and has the power to transform them, just like he's done in our lives. In humility, understanding that Christ has forgiven our our sin. But God has entrusted to us the gospel, and we want to sling it. We want to share it in faith to believe that God can take a heart of someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior and turn them to Christ. 
That's our commitment as a church here at Rocky Mountain Calvary is we want to share the gospel. You've probably noticed at the end of our services, we take a few minutes to proclaim the gospel. And I'll admit, there's sometimes like on a Saturday night in my heart, I'm like, oh, I think everybody's saved in here. You know, it's the Saturday night crew. I'll share the gospel. And then four or five people get saved and I go home saying, Lord, forgive me. You know, forgive me my heart of, of unbelief. There's power in the gospel. I want you to know this. If, if this is your home church, you can bring people to here to Rocky Mountain Calvary and know that they're gonna hear the gospel because this is our job to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. But some people aren't gonna come to church. We've gotta go to them. And as we go to them in love, in relationship, but also in truth, to be able to proclaim the gospel. And that's the hope for our culture that's the hope for our world today, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is there people that have never heard that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that he rose again, that you're a sinner, and as you turn from sin and trust Christ, that you're saved, you're born again, you're, you're forgiven. And we get to take that to them. We get to share that with them. And we're seeing God move through the power of his, the gospel. We're seeing people come to know Christ as their savior and trust him and be brought from darkness to life. And, and that's what it's all about. So take the gospel and sling it. You gotta proclaim it. You gotta share it. We've gotta speak it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Jesus calls us and says, go and make disciples of all, all nations, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. And lo, I'm with you always till the end of the age. And I don't know about you, but I get nervous sharing the gospel with unbelievers one-on-one. -on -one. In a setting like this, I have the mic, right? But one-on-one, -on -one, you're, you're risking personal rejection. You're, you're risking relationship. But there's power in the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Share and declare the gospel. And I think that that's, church, that's the practical application for us. Yes, Goliath is loud. Yes, the enemy's camp is shouting and the enemy's camp is, is encroaching. And we're going to respond in one of two ways. We're either going to respond in being fearful and being dismayed, or we're going to respond in trusting God and seeing this through the lens of God's character that God is limitless and in the midst of chaos that God is wanting to bring people to himself and saying, okay, Lord, I'm entering into your mission. I want to love sinners. I want to proclaim the gospel to them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's what the gospel of Luke is all about. And then life gets, gets really exciting. Wouldn't it be a wonderful testimony by God's grace of Rocky Mountain Calvary if we became that voice of faith in this chaotic time? If we as a church family said, you know what? We're not going to be fearful. We're not going to be dismayed. We're going to be in a place of trusting God and trusting that God wants to reveal his glory in the midst of these very difficult times. And then begin to look for opportunities to step out in faith and to share the gospel, to sling the gospel, to sling the stone of the resurrection and see what Christ would do in people's lives. I hope you're encouraged. God is on the move. He's bringing people to, to himself. He's stirring hearts. He's stirring our hearts as, as believers. And then for where it applies to us personally, 
when things are difficult and the enemy's shouting, Goliath is shouting, it's very easy to get discouraged. And maybe you're in a place where you're facing a situation where you're like, there, there's just no way out. There's no way forward. I don't see a solution. All I hear day and night is the shouting of Goliath. Let's get along with the Lord and remember the power and the majesty of God, that he is the one who reigns and say, okay, Lord, please change my perspective. I'm seeing this situation through my limits. Help me to see it through your limitless character. Would you stand with me? And I'd like to read to you Isaiah 40 as we close that just speaks of God's power and speaks of his, his majesty and we'll enter into communion together. This is Isaiah 40, verse 12. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with the span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in the scale and the hills in the balance? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or who has taught him? With whom did God take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, who showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are a drop in the bucket and are as counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles and the very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor is its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations are before him as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver in chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution, choose a tree that will not rot. He who seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits on the circle of the earth and the inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall they stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes on high and see who's created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. He calls the stars by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable, he gives power to the weak, 
And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are limitless. Who is like you? We can't even find a comparison. The nations of the world are just grasshoppers compared to you. You spoke the stars into existence. You call them by name, and not one of them is is missing. You're the all-powerful God. And we know that you're not confused. You're not overwhelmed by the difficulties in our lives or the difficulties in the world today. Jesus, we ask by your grace that Goliath would no longer be able to speak over our lives and produce fear, but that we could see the challenges in our culture through the lens of your character. And we desire for your glory to be known. We know you desire for your glory to be known. So God, would you deal with the Goliaths in a way where your power would be seen, where your love would be seen. We pray for those that don't know you. Lord, whether it's here tonight or opportunities that we're going to have to share this week, that they would come into that saving relationship with you, Jesus. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.